think I'm dreaming Japanese. I really think so, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Dram Talk, your new mates on your journey into the world of whiskey. I'm Brad. I'm Daniel. And today we'll be looking at the Ben Nevis 10-year-old Nika Whiskey from the Barrel and the Hakushu Distillers Reserve. We'll also be discussing the new Japanese whiskey laws. Right. Yeah. So, Daniel, first full-length episode in a while. Yeah, we have been we have been focusing on those express ones. Um, I guess I guess it kind of comes down to our our schedules. Like we have been doing a few remote recordings. Yeah, yeah, and um, we've just been pretty busy lately. Yeah, but you know we always have time for a dram. <laughs> yeah, always. I'm sure people have noticed as well that we're experimenting with how we deliver the episodes. Got like one or two episodes where we were talking over the intro. Probably, I don't think we like that anymore. So we're just going, mixing it up a little, trying different things out. We'll, we'll, we'll find something that works soon. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So so what's been going on, Brad? What, what's been happening with you? Is, is it our first time getting into Japanese whiskey? So have you tried any new ones lately? Uh, well, for me, I think the last new whiskey I tried that was Japanese was the Yamazaki 12. And that was really good. Yeah, I think the last one I've tried is one of the ones we're going to be trying today, the Nika Whiskey from the Barrel. Um, it was photo of it was put up on our Instagram uh, pretty much the day that we saw the news about these laws that came out, and it kind of had me feeling like like a dream of Japanese whiskey, so I poured myself one. Uh, but what was your first one? Like, what's your, what's your experiences with Japanese whiskey? Yeah, well, my first one would be the Hakushu Distillers Reserve, which we're looking at today. And um, I really, really enjoyed that. And I still do to this day. You know, so what about you? I, it's hard to say. I, I would say possibly the, a dream of your Hakushu Distillers Reserve was my yep. first one. Um, I kind of expanded my like repertoire of Japanese whiskey during the um, whiskey advent calendar that I had over Christmas, where I had quite a few different ones. There was um, the... Super, like the Nikka's Rare Old Super, which yep. is one of their blends. Then I had the Yoichi Single Malt, which is also from Nikka. Um, tried Suntory Toki, which is part of like Hokushu. And the, um, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but the like Iwa, Iwa, traditional oh, okay. wine cask yep. finish, which is uh, part of the Shinsu Mars distillery. So had a few of those. It was like simple drams, but that like kind of, made me really keen to get into a few more Japanese whiskeys, which I guess leads us into this episode. Right, yeah. So should we probably get into this uh, this new Japanese whiskey law that we've been hearing about? Yes, let's give everyone a little bit of a breakdown about what this actually is, if you've heard about it, and if you haven't, what it means for Japanese whiskey. So what was that instrument we just heard, Brad? Uh, so that was a shamisen, which is a pretty traditional Japanese instrument. Really hard to play, really expensive as well. Yeah, Brad, Brad learned that song just for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he played that just for you. Spent the last, what, 26 years of my life learning how to play the shamisen. Yep. <laughs> the Japanese and Alps. Been, yep. <laughs> and I've been preparing this pod by spending the last... 26 months drinking whiskey. <laughs> okay, so let's get on to it. So the Japanese whiskey law. Now, um, most of the information we're going to be going through today has been pulled from like the Japanese Spirits and Liquor Makers Association. Uh, but there have also been some points that I've read coming from like blog posts from Whiskey Loot as well as the um, Whiskey Club here in Australia. They've like released some articles as well as some like community groups where people have been sharing information and the websites from the distilleries themselves, because this has been a pretty, I guess, fundamental change to Japanese whiskey, because it's the first time like actual guidelines have been put in place for what constitutes Japanese whiskey. Um, now, these new labeling standards were established on February 12 by the Japanese Spirits and Liquor Makers Association, which is a non-governmental trade group um, of the country's major whiskey producers. So, yeah, as we said, this is a pretty big deal. Um, prior to this regulation, all, whis all the whiskey had to do to carry the Japanese whiskey tag was be bottled in Japan. Now, the That's... regulations... 
it's pretty they're, they're goosey a, goosey yeah <laughs> they are a far cry from this like this is just completely shaken up what a lot of what the distilleries send out are going to actually look like in the future now these new labeling standards will come into effect on april 1st 2021 I know what you might be thinking, like, is this a joke? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it seems very much real. Um, and I believe a lot of them will have three years to get all of these actually, actual like regulations on the bottles out there in the market. Um, like it has to be three years for them to actually get everything finalized. Yep. So um, what these new laws actually cover and include, and I guess outline in their guidelines is that for the raw ingredients, they must be limited to malted grains, other cereal grains and water extracted in Japan. And the important thing here is malted grains must be used. So any of their whiskies, um, whether they're blends or single malts, they need to contain malt. Um, this is where they differ from Scotch regulations because some grain whiskey in Scotland can be made using unmalted cereals only, but still be labeled as scotch. Whereas that's not the case for Japanese whiskey. They need to contain malt. Now, when it comes to like the production method, the process and production must happen entirely within Japan. So from the water source to uh, fermentation, distillation um, and aging all needs to happen in Japan. So what this actually means is like when it comes to aging they need to be aged for at least three years like scotch and it just has to be in wooden casks not exceeding a capacity of 700 liters now this does differ from scotch because scotch has to be aged in oak casks but the japanese whiskey standards don't specify that so they're allowed to use other wood which leaves room for some interesting experimentations in the future so and it'd just be interesting to know what distilleries start to come up with and do for different expressions. Yeah, it's going to be a really good point of difference as well. And it's probably going to be a point of difference that keeps the price of Japanese whiskey as high as it is. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we're all kind of worried about. Is like, <laughs> is this just going to put a premium on Japanese whiskey? Because even in Australia, like in Australia, it is it can get quite expensive. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in like the UK, the US or other countries in the world, but... In Australia, it is it can reach up to some pretty pricey levels. Now, um, other than that, like they have specified they can use caramel E50, E150 coloring um, that can be added. And what well, the only other point would be that the alcohol has to be at least a minimum 40% ABV for their whiskey. Now, this is kind of like a global standard when it comes to whiskey. And it has to be um, the alcohol content at the time of distillation must be less than 95%. So that's probably all you have, yeah? So I should probably give like a little background of Japanese whiskey since it's the first time that we are looking at it. Yeah, so let's just put a bit of context onto the drams we're going to be trying. Right, so Japanese whiskey making, it's, it's a little shrouded in mystery since very little was actually recorded in whiskey making before the establishment of... Santori's Yamazaki Distillery in the early 20th century. Now, there are some documented whiskey making done by some soju and sake breweries. And that kind of happened on the side as early as the 1850s. Now, I mean, how documented that is, I'm not too sure. But, hey, the infinite wisdom of the internet (laughs) told me so. Thank you, Google. (laughs) Now, um... The whiskey it's making itself took a historical turn in Japan in 1923 when Suntory established the first official distillery. Uh, recently, Japanese whiskey has gained global recognition with countless international awards and it's been in high demand from whiskey lovers the world over. Now, um, the companies of Masataka Taketsuru and Shinjiro Tori still represent their founders' passion for Japanese whiskey. And... Masataka Taketsuru was known as the father of Japanese whiskey, and he studied the intricate whiskey making process in the Scotland. He took his knowledge and his Scottish wife Rita back to Japan and established one of the most popular Japanese whiskey companies, Nikko Whiskey. And Shinjiro Tori was the founder of Santori, known as mm-hmm. Kotobukiya back then, and built Yamazaki in 1923. 
So Takatsuru and Tori, they had a history before those two companies were born. And Takatsuru actually worked in Tori's company for over 10 years. So the Suntory and Nika Whiskey Companies have a background story that is, I guess, closely linked to each other. Mm. And Takatsuru, he came from a family who had a sake brewery for Japanese alcoholic beverages. He studied chemistry at the University of Glasgow just to improve his understanding of creating alcoholic beverages. And Takatsuru later ventured out on his own in 1934 and established the Yoichi Distillery in Hokkaido in 1940. Then Suntory, they originally offered an alcoholic beverage called Akadama Sweet Wine, which was a huge success for their company. And it it's still made to this day. And that kind of, I guess, tied it over while the whiskey is being aged and made. Mm. So much the same way you see like Australian distilleries producing gin. Yeah, yeah. Now, however, Shinjiro Tori wanted to create a whiskey that suited the Japanese people's preferences and moved forward with the establishment of Yamazaki. And despite the opposition he received from his business partners, and in 1929, Tori created the first whiskey from Suntory called Suntory Shirofuda, which is white label. But it turned out to be unsuccessful because it didn't quite fit the taste of the Japanese consumer base. So... (laughs) Everything could have gone horribly wrong and we could maybe not even be talking about it today, right? (laughs) But the second whiskey they released was the Suntory Kakuben, which became a hit and it's still sold in Japan to this day. And it's probably one of their best-selling whiskeys. And even if you go to Japan and you have a highball, more often than not, it's probably made with Kakuben. Right, yeah. And um, it's not really been until the last couple of decades that um, Japanese whiskey made its global debut. So in 2003, the movie Lost in Translation, it featured Bill Murray's character and it really heavily advertised Suntory's whiskey. A memorable quote in the movie being, for relaxing times, make it Suntory time. So many people say that the movie has helped with the exposure of Japanese whiskey and international whiskey lovers, they gradually discovered this luxury spirit from Japan and some Japanese whiskies, like I mentioned before, they've received international awards. And that just, you know, as soon as something wins an award, that just raises the awareness of the quality of the product. Yeah. And I guess the real thing that's hyped the price up is with this sudden newfound interest in Japanese whiskey, there was, I guess, some kind of short-sightedness from the distilleries where they just couldn't meet demand at all. So now this is why we kind of find ourselves in this like really weird situation where it's, I'd really like to try some Japanese whiskey, but when I look at the price, I turn around the other way and I'm like, hey, (laughs) you know what? I'm going to just go buy another bottle of scotch instead. And maybe not just another bottle of scotch. I'm going to go buy another two or three bottles of scotch instead of this one bottle. The equivalent of that price. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's kind of where it comes down to a bit of a flaw in whiskey production for meeting that supply-demand kind of balance because you can't just quickly hike up production because you still have to wait at least three years to be able to get it out onto the market which you know basic economics when demand rises like the price jumps up and if supply can't meet that the price is just going to keep rising yeah yeah and even to this day right so i guess coming at the end of that i guess brief little context of what we're talking about today Mm. um daniel does this really matter to you knowing that one of the dreams we're trying today isn't actually Japanese whiskey as per the new guidelines? See, it's a little tricky because one of the things I love so much about Japanese whiskey when I tried it was the quality of it, but also how much it was like reminiscent of Scotch whiskey. So it was like you get in that same kind of experience, the same kind of feel as well as the same kind of like sense of, I guess, like quality in the product. Yeah. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that, I guess, that, notion of quality because even Mm. from a lot of the Japanese distillers they're all kind of I guess I guess I'm sure they're all pretty grateful for the new regulations and everything coming out because after all it is from an association that they're all probably a part of and um, but a lot of them they're kind of thinking well we kind of don't really get why you guys are so focused on this idea of what Japanese whiskey is because a lot of them, they're all really focused on just delivering a quality product. Yeah. I mean like that, that is great to hear and it's exactly what you want when you're going to be dropping down the kind of money you are on different whiskeys. 
But at the same time, like, I guess this is where regulations do play a a good part because you look at the regulations we've just run over today. None of them are unreasonable. The fact that the products have to be like, have to come from Japan. It has to take place in Japan and it needs to be aged for at least three years. It needs to be a certain ABV. Like these are all the things you're going to want in your whiskey, regardless of where it's from. And if you're buying a product from that country, I guess the kind of notion is like, well, if you're advertising it as a Japanese whiskey or as a Scotch whiskey, you want it to come from this country. So it defeats the purpose of putting that kind of country name on it. Yeah. So in some sense, it's like it is long overdue and I don't feel like it would change too much, but obviously there are things that will change. And I guess this leads us straight into the tasting, which the main one is for Nika and for the one that the whiskey from the barrel, which we're going to try today, which doesn't meet these standards. The reason is possibly the inclusion of Ben Nevis, which is a Scotch whiskey in their drams, in their blends. And the reason they do this is because they own Ben Nevis. So they own the whiskey that's produced there. And that is then sent back to Japan where it's mixed in with some of their blends. Yeah. Now, Ben Nevis itself, um, it is a distillery located in the Highland region of Scotland. And it should come as no surprise. The distillery is located in Fort William, which is a town at the base of Ben Nevis. Ben Nevis is the highest mountain in the British Isles. Um, and it was purchased by the Nicker Whiskey Distilling in 1989. So we are going to be trying a Scotch whiskey that features in some of the Nicker's blends. Now, the 10-year-old, which is the one we'll be trying itself, um, just a note from the whiskey company, he said that this 10-year-old single malt was introduced to the world back in 1996 and has since started out slow at first. It's taken the world by storm. It has everything you could wish for in a single malt. There's a touch of peat, a mouthful of oak, and a pinch of bourbon, a tickle of sherry, and a smooth mouth-watering feeling on the palate. The sweetness is well-balanced and memorable. And now just off that, there's there's something for us. Like we've, yeah, we've stressed yeah. that we do like peat, we do like bourbon, we do like sherry. I mean, like it's ticking a lot of boxes. So should we get onto the nose for this one? Yeah, get straight onto it. Now, I mean, straight for me, the first thing I'm getting is a slight coffee note. Ah, interesting. Yeah. The, what jumped out the glass at me was a citrus note. Right. Yeah, I can see a citrus note there. It was the main thing I was getting initially, but I mentioned the coffee note because that was so interesting to me. Yeah, that is that is sitting. I, I, I can tell that there. That's sitting there underneath the citrus. Ah, yeah. Like the deeper breath you take, the yeah. more it starts to smell like a cafe. <laughs> With like the blended roasted coffee beans. Yeah. Such a nice note. Uh, yeah. If you can't tell, Daniel and I, we love coffee. So, <laughs> you know, maybe 50 episodes in, it's probably be dram and coffee talk. We don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> it's so, I just love whenever I get like a coffee note mm-hmm. in a whiskey, it's just like, oh, how good. I even get like a little bit of chocolate as well. The peat isn't really there on the nose. There is a fruity sweetness to it too. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm disappointed by that though, just because of what else is there. Oh yeah, like that that coffee note, that citrus, they were jumping out enough that you're not noticing a lack of that peaty note that it has mentioned we are expected to find here. Yeah, let's just get on the palate. Let's do it. Mm. First thing I noticed on the palate was it is super smooth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like a really like silky smooth, like it just flows over the tongue and through the mouth. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really dry dram as well. There's no mm-hmm. oily mouthfeel or anything. But in saying that, like kind of like on the finish, there is yep. like a little bit of like a, almost like a chocolatey kind of mouthfeel, but it kind of comes towards the end. So you're right. It is dry initially. And then once it leaves, the finish kind of rises up. Yeah. So for me, the finish is a bit of like a toffee note. Mm-hmm. That's got like a slight hint of maybe like a mocha. Okay. Yeah. I'm more getting like, Cadbury caramel or, or, or caramel koala, like the yeah. chocolatey caramel mix. Yeah, for me, I'm still getting like a little hint of coffee. But with that addition of that chocolate, I can kind of draw it to that conclusion of like a mocha. Mm. Um, the peat, I can get a little, like a, I'd say a really light note of peat on the palate. Yeah, it is. it is quite subtle. So before that like kind of rising chocolatey caramel note, I was getting like a little bit of a bitter tang, which I guess would come down to a coffee bean as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a really enjoyable dram. 
Ah, oh, that is it is easy drinking, and it's I'm just amazed at how smooth it is. It's like nice and cool. Now, I mean, we don't really have much in the glass for this one, and I'm just really having to refrain and just restrain myself. I just don't finish the dram. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a Morris dram. I am I'm a little disappointed that I only bought a miniature. <laughs> I should specify I did purchase this miniature from the distillery itself when I went. Oh, two years ago now, um, but I'd already purchased some other whiskeys, so I was not able to carry much more back into the country. You should you should actually specify I had already purchased some actual peated whiskey. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Lagavulin Distillers Edition and Glen Scotia Fifteen. For anyone wondering, should we add some water? I th- I think we should. Now, it sits at 46%, so it's not a light one, but I only added a little bit. That's great, though. 46% for, I guess, what would, I'd assume, be their entry-level dram. Yeah, it is It is good to see. Hmm. I'd say a peated note on the nose comes out a little bit now. Yeah, I was just about to mention that, because it is peated. Um, the citrusy note, I think it's turning a little bit more orange. There's also some kind of green note there that I can't quite place, but I don't know, kind of leafy. Yeah, I could maybe just be confusing that, I guess, green almost note for a vegetal note. Mm. But there is like, yeah, a subtle peaty, borderline smoky note, but not nowhere near like an eye level, but it is, it is still a present note there. Now onto the palette with water. Um, what I initially got, that bitter note is coming across a lot stronger. It's like almost bordering on like sour, like a really ripe or not like really underripe orange. Yeah. Interesting. Because for me on the palate, it's, it is a little sour and it's just, I guess, a little disappointing that everything else though is kind of just muted. I mean, like it has, but it also doesn't feel watered down. So I Mm. think like what's happening is it's not diluting the whiskey too much. It's just changing what yeah we were initially getting which one is a good thing to see because sometimes when you have water and nothing really changes we're like okay it's just the same dram slightly watered down this still has the same kind of texture and mouthfeel but it is have other notes coming up and I, I will say that like yes I probably did prefer the flavors I was getting before the addition of water but it is interesting how it's changed yeah even the finish that I guess underripe citrus note carries on into it as well and that note of i guess like a mocha emerging on the finish has really dissipated so for me yeah much preferred it without the addition of water yeah but what i noticed was like sorry yeah yeah i was gonna say but for me this is probably one that i would want to revisit oh yeah i i'm actually now seriously considering going out and buying a full-size bottle yeah so what were you gonna say uh, the other thing I was going to say is like that kind of coffee note has translated from like a roasted coffee bean to maybe like a fresh green one. Right. Yep. So it contains a little bit more of like a bitter note and kind of not as drinkable as a roasted coffee bean, but still very fresh. Yeah. And even the addition of peat in this dram here, it's um, it's almost a little representative of that West Highland style. Yeah. And even kind of similar to what we see with like Oban, like these yeah. kind of West Coastal drams. <laughs> yeah. All these notes are very similar to what we experience in the Oban 14. Mm. But I guess the only thing that this would be missing would be that saltiness that Oban yeah. carries in the little in the back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but overall, really enjoyed this dram. Very disappointed that you only bought a mini. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think that's the that's the foregone conclusion. That's the takeaway. Yeah, that's the takeaway here, is that we don't have some more to experiment with. Mm -hmm. But I think while it's still fresh in our mind, let's jump straight into the Nikka whiskey from the barrel, because as we have since, I guess it's been confirmed after these new guidelines, is what a lot of Nikka blends, um, they don't actually meet these new um, Japanese whiskey labeling standards. And one of the main causes of this is because they use imported Ben Nevis malt in their blends. Now, so for example, for the Nikka coffee malt that contains Ben Nevis, we can just probably assume that the Nikka whiskey from the barrel contains it. However, like 
can't actually see that explicitly stated on their website for this particular bottle. But since they own the distillery and they import it for others, it's pretty safe to assume. Now, the Nika whiskey from the barrel, I mean, like Brad has already covered a little bit of the history of Nika itself. Um, so we don't need to really go into too much about that. So I'll just talk a little bit more specifically about this bottle itself. Now, this was created to give like that experience of trying a nicker straight from the barrel itself, which is basically what the label says. Yeah. Now, this is a blend of malt and grain whiskeys. It's bottled at 51.4%. So, you know, we're going to be in for a treat here at that ABV. Um, and this spectacular dram, it's just aimed to give you that experience of trying whiskey from the barrel. Now, it does contain a mix of grain as well as malt whiskey. So we're going to see kind of a lot more of like those kind of spice notes that you can get from different types of grain, whether it be rye or even like a sweetness from a corn. Uh, but should we get straight into this one? Yeah, let's get on straight onto the nose, which I was doing while you were talking. Um, <laughs> for me, it's really reminiscent of a bourbon. And I'm pretty sure that will probably come from that use of bourbon barrels and those hogsheads, which are smaller barrels. So he really gets that interaction with the yeah. oak. And man, it's like a really floral nose. Yeah, I did prelude what I was going to, because I, I know what the nose of this is like. I did prelude to this into my introduction. But what I'm finding is there is like a spiciness that you are picking up. And I think that's attributed to the rye content of this one. Like having smelt other rye whiskeys, you get this kind of, really distinctive spicy note on the nose. But in addition to that, it is very fresh. It is very open and airy. And that seems to be what I picked up, what I remember picking up from our bourbon episodes. They feel like very outdoor kind of drams. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, they're definitely really floral at the front. And mm-hmm. that spiciness you're talking about really comes in at the back and just kind of like whacks you in the face when you get your nose too deep in the glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there is kind of like, again, underlying all of this is like a maltiness that seems to be filling it out as well. Yeah, really, really pleasant on the nose. Mm. So let's get on to the palate. So what I note on the palate for this one, it starts out fresh, like the nose. It's slightly sweet, but then there's almost like a crackle that takes place in your mouth and that gives way to like a barrage of flavors. So... I'm getting things along the lines of like baked fruits. There's like a slight nuttiness. There are some spices there and it becomes a bit more savory towards the end as well. And at the end, it's like that maltiness that I was picking up on the nose seems to be coming up here as well. Like it feels like a very meal of a whiskey. (laughs) Like there's a lot I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to cut you off, but really, (laughs) really full bodied. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of spice yeah, and a strong note of toffee as well. I can see a little bit of sweetness there, but the sweetness that I'm getting is more of that vanilla note, mm-hmm. which you'd find in a bourbon. But man, and then there's just like a whole bunch of different flavors going on. Like yeah, I'm getting something fruit, like- getting spices I mentioned before, and it's all just like really like mingling really well together. Really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is hard to say for sure how much of it comes from the mix of grains that are used. But as you mentioned, I definitely think there's a solid percentage of rye in the grain. And then I think that the, like corn is also playing a big part in this. And it's what we're getting from a lot of bourbon whiskeys, which we're picking up carrying across into this with notes of vanilla, toffee, like that kind of sweetness that kind of is very bourbon-esque as well. But on the finish, I find it's like a very meaty finish. And the closest thing I can attribute it to similarly is almost like the Mortlac we tried. Yep. That was the other one I would have termed as meaty. <laughs> right. Yeah. For me, the finish is like, I'd probably say it's, it's definitely a little long, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like a warming finish. Like, yeah, it's like, this is a dram that's for winter. Yeah. It is a baked dinner. <laughs> yeah. Really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, it's just, just a really strong dram. I'm just really blown away with 
how how much I'm enjoying this one because this mm. is my first time trying Nico whiskey from the barrel, and it's um especially at the price point that we find it here in Australia, and the fact that it's actually available. Yeah, so. I mean that is that is one of the things because I got this as a gift, and my girlfriend she was saying like they had to go to quite a bit of an effort to get it because they ordered it, but once it reaches the shelves, it basically jumps straight off it. So they do get it quite regularly, but you won't see it up there for long. And the order she placed did actually get put on the shelves instead of held back. So they got sold out at that store. And then the lady at Dan Murphy said to actually drive to another store to pick it up. (laughs) So it can be a little bit tricky to get, but it is usually regularly available. But I'll just give you another, I guess, guided tip going through this one, Brad, because I have had yeah. a couple of drams of this and I've sat with it for a bit. But like what I've I mentioned it earlier, but if you like when you take a sip of it, if you just like not swish it around your mouth, but just like let it sit in your mouth for a couple of seconds. I don't know if you'll you'll pick up that kind of crackle, the kind of fizz across the tongue that I was getting. And I think that kind of marked that transition from the kind of fresh, sweeter dram into like a more of a spiced flavor. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. So I was just doing that just then. Yeah. A lot more spice forward. Mm-hmm. As opposed to those sweeter vanilla notes I was picking up. Really good. I'm just really enjoying how much there is to unpack in this. In this dram. Yeah. There, there is a lot to this one. And it's, it's what we usually expect from whiskeys that sit above 50%. Yeah, and at least this one here, you've got a full bottle, so we can experiment with this one. It, we can. We can. <laughs> it, it is only 500 mil, but, you know, it, it is all like 10 times the amount of the Ben Nevis. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's more than 50 mils, so can't complain. <laughs> all right, let's add some water into this one. Now at 51%, yeah, we can, we can add a little bit of water without it hurting it at all. So I added a spoon and a drop. Oh, on the nose, the floral oh. notes have just amplified to just another level yeah they are they are like jumping out of the glass like i feel like i'm about to breathe in some like flower petals incredibly oh, fresh on the nose a lot now. more fresh yeah. yeah like it's it's almost so fresh now to the point that you can't even get your nose in the glass no yeah exactly that's exactly right and i'm like i'm i'm struggling to now try and find those kind of spice notes i was mentioning earlier as well as the maltiness. Like, it is just really fresh and floral. Man, I love that. <laughs> now, with the water, the palate, the spice has almost just washed away. Mm-hmm. And the dram is just really just unraveled into just a really sweet dram that's really inviting. Yeah. As opposed to having those kind of, that meaty characteristic where it was kind of just throwing you around the ringer a little bit. Then mm. now it's just really open and just inviting you in like come on come in try this sweet stuff i got here yeah there is like a multi almost biscuity feel at the end now and the water has really affected the finish it's really dropped from long i'd say to short to medium yeah i'd say sitting around medium it doesn't feel as full in the mouth towards the finish which i think might be making us think it ends a lot faster but i've still got that I've said it a lot, but I still got that kind of multi feel in my mouth. Okay, right, yeah. I mean, this is, I guess, comes back to what we were mentioning earlier about the quality of Japanese whiskey, because the quality of this that we're getting is a lot more than a lot of people would normally expect if you were going into trying a blended whiskey, and especially yeah. a blend of malt and grain. Yeah. But it just shows that, like, a lot of thought and care goes into the production. And while it is unfortunate that this bottle itself doesn't meet these labeling standards for Japanese whiskey, um, we still don't really know what that means, whether the, I guess, expression we're seeing, like the bottle contents of this one are going to change or whether the labeling of it's going to change. But it's just interesting to see what's going to happen in the future. But I mean, isn't that just what the Japanese do though. Like they take something, they study it really intensely and they don't just make a copy, but they make something that's even better than the original. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they've taken that Ben Nevis and they've just amplified it to a degree that it's just like oh, completely different in its own yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, like 
one of the things that would be interesting is to compare like a cask strength Ben Nevis with a cask strength Nicker to see how they compare. Because at the moment we're putting a 46% yeah. Nicker yeah. up against a 51%, a 46% Ben Nevis up against a 51% Nicker. Yeah. But even um, with the Ben Nevis, a lot of the notes, I guess they didn't really carry over into the Nicker. Yeah. There wasn't much I was picking up there, but I guess aside from that kind of same silky quality mouthfeel. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got, what, two German words to do now? Ah, yes. Okay. So, yeah, we'll we'll group these all into one. Now, I think I've already said it for my Nicker Whiskey from the Barrel, but to me, this is kind of like a baked dinner. Like, I've got a mix of flavors. You're getting like a really solid meaty proteiny kind of feel as well as some like really fresh additions to the plate and it's just made for an entire satisfying meal okay right so for me nicker from the barrel is hmm, a nice dream to have on a cold winter's day in Sapporo mm-hmm. right the snow is just coming down non-stop you need something that's just gonna that's full-bodied it's got a bit of bite to it, and it's just going to warm you straight up. Yeah. And that's what Nicker Whiskey from the Barrel is. So if you need something to warm you up, and you, you're probably not looking for a hit of peat, well, Nicker Whiskey from the Barrel. That's, that's your dream. <laughs> okay, now my dream and words for the Ben Nevis. For this one, I'm standing not quite on a mountain, maybe on a hillside, and... I've walked away from my log cabin where I've had a fire burning and I'm just going off to enjoy the surrounding sights as well as smells of like the fresh open air. And yeah, you're getting that kind of not really present, but kind of like the, the more the sense that you know that you've got like shelter as well as a fire waiting for you behind you while you're looking out over open fields, fresh air, and just like, yeah, that fresh crisp mountain air. <laughs> Okay, so for me, the Ben Nevis 10 is sitting, I guess, in your favorite coffee shop and you've ordered an Irish coffee. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what that is for me. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, now we'll go on to the Hakushu Distillers Reserve. Right. So now this dram comes from the house of Suntory and is Japan's mountain forest distillery. And it was founded in 1973 by Suntory's second master blender, which is Keizo Saji. And whiskey is made by Hakushu. They use water that undergoes slow filtration through granite. And this bottle here, the Distillers Reserve, it's a no-age statement expression that captures the smoky, herbaceous characteristics of their whiskies. So the Hakushu whiskies, they're kind of known as that, like that green whiskey. Mm. So this dram here, they use both lightly peated and heavily peated malts. Again, the dram is a no-age statement, sitting at 43% ABV, and interestingly, it's coloured. So you would, looking at the colour of it, you probably wouldn't have told that. Yeah, no, it is It is quite a light colour. Yeah, but it is coloured. Interesting. Okay, and you, you got this bottle from Japan, yeah, when you went? Oh, no, 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 I got this as a present. Ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I like that you tried to add a little bit of spice to the <laughs> authenticity <laughs> to the, the bottles we're uh, trying. Sorry, we 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 got to remain truthful here. On the <laughs> so it's got to nip that straight in the bud. Ah, yeah, it is very herbal on the nose. Yeah, like I think the immediate impression on the nose is bright, fresh, just really citrusy. But oh man, it's the nose for me is almost just satisfying enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a really good nose, right? Because it's fresh in the sense that it's like just clean. It's like almost like mountain air. Yeah, it's a very different freshness to what we were picking up in the Nikka, which was very, I guess, florally freshness. This is, yeah, crisp mountain air. It's a freshness where your nose can go deeper into the glass and you're not worried. <laughs> yeah. Like before. Yeah, I'm getting like like pine leaves, like um, peppermint, maybe even sage. I don't know. Just like there's a mix of that kind of foresty mountain freshness with some kind of like rising herbal notes. Yeah. I'm even getting some really, I guess some green apples as well, like crisp green apples. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. And I want to say almost, almost like watery fruits, like, like 
cucumbers or melons, like a honeydew melon. Yeah. Great. And there is, there is like a, um, an earthiness to it, like forest floor. Yeah. It really gives you that sense. And I think that's probably the peppermint playing into that as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The deeper sm- like the sniff you take, the more you can feel that peppermint. I mean, you're right. Like we can, we can stay talking about yeah, this yeah. all day. <laughs> Let's get onto the palate. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Mm. What I find interesting is like, as you take it in, it's cool. It's fresh. Yeah. You know, like almost like a minty note there as well. Mm, yep. But then it kind of develops into something sweeter, fruity, possibly citrusy, but I'm not like getting citrus as like a super strong note on there. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a stone fruit, maybe like a nectarine, maybe a peach. No, oh, yeah. Yeah. But there is that citrusy note there and it's almost like lemon zest. Mm-hmm. Just like something that's shaved over the top as opposed to being like a really dominant thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of just dashed across the top there. So it's yeah. still present. The finish though is medium to long, but mm-hmm. really, really, really herbal. Yeah. I was going to say like it does, it does mellow out into a much more, yeah, green, savory, herbal note towards the end. Yeah. And like, oh, like dare I say notes of green tea? Okay. Yeah. I can get that. It's kind of like a little bit of tannings there. Yeah. But then the, the smoke is very, very light. So when they say that it has lightly peated and heavily peated malts, I'm more inclined to believe that it's lightly peated. I would say lightly peated, yeah. I'm saying like I'm getting more of the sense of like forest mist. Yep. Yep. This is almost on that level of Kuba Khan smoke mm-hmm. where it's just a, yeah, just a mist. It just floats around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just a mist. That's all it is. But it's really interesting because of how much there was to unpack in this dram. Yeah. That you don't really miss the smoke. No, definitely. It's not like, like even going in knowing that it contained peated malts, I didn't feel like it was lacking anything. <laughs> yeah. Which is where the Kubikan fell short in our eyes, where mm. it's like, oh, you're getting this peated dram. And then we were like, okay, where is it? Whereas this one on the, I guess, complete opposite end of the scale has yeah. kind of come along and said, yeah, this is peated. But everything else that was present, I guess, kind of pushed that to the back of our minds. And then Mm -hmm. the peat kind of came at the end where it's like, oh, yeah, wait, this is peated. I was like, oh, wait, there's the smoke. We (laughs) don't really mind that it's light because everything else is delivered. Yeah. And on the second note there, I was also picking up maybe like even like a pine nut Mm. as well. Mm. Super tasty. Yeah. Right. It it does. It sits at 43%. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, it is. 43%. So when we have water, I might add it a little bit less because I have taken a few pretty big sips of this one. <laughs> yeah. I had just a bit more in mind because I'm still getting used to the Denver and Lally glass. I keep pouring too much. <laughs> <laughs> Brad's sitting there with a 90 mil pour. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, the um, the benefits of remote recording, right? Yeah. <laughs> the peppermint's a lot stronger. Yeah, I was going to say, those herbal notes are quite vivid. I was going to say, I was like, I don't know about you, but (laughs) peppermint is a lot stronger. Like, and it's really that, like, bitey at the back of the nose kind of peppermint. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Now on the palate, after the water. Ooh, a lot sharper on the palate. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yep, there's there's that citrus. That citrus came across with some vengeance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like it heard me saying, I was kind of getting it. It's like, (laughs) I'm here, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. a lot sharper on the palate with the addition of water. Yeah, like prior to that, it was very mellow, kind of like they flowed through the mouth and it was transitioning from one to the other. And now it was just like, bam, we're here. Yeah, really interesting. This is one that's like almost, ooh, do I like this more with water? I don't know. I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be leaning that way as well. Because <laughs> the main thing is I do like that kick that it gives you, that kind of citrusy, almost like yeah, even like a borderline phenolic kick. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that. I was about to say the water has almost given life to a vegetal note. Yeah. Down on the bottom. Almost like you could say the water gives life to the forest floor. Yeah. <laughs> it is now like freshly rained and like all of the notes are just ever more present. Yeah. Really good stuff. And again, this is another one of those bottles that's probably more readily available. Mm. Which I guess if you can't tell by this episode that Japanese whiskey is pretty hard for us to procure. Yeah. And get poor episodes so we have bottles that are readily available. I mean, like, we haven't 
put off doing a Japanese episode for this long through lack of want, yeah. lack of ability to find and buy bottles. The finish, though, has diminished in length. I mean, like, I would agree, but it's like the memory of that kind of last kick that it gives you yeah. stays in my mind longer. And I guess it keeps making me go back for more faster. Yeah. Like, this one's Moorish in a very, very different way. This mm. one's Moorish in that the dream is just really good. Yeah. Whereas Nika had that feeling of more. No, and it wasn't Nika. It was Ben Nevis that we said. It's mm, Moorish, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. But either way, like Ben Nevis and Nika, like they were both Moorish in the sense of like, well, Nika, for example, I thought like it felt like a meal and I yeah. was going back for another bite and another bite to keep filling myself up. Yeah. Because it's like, this is something I really want. Yeah. Whereas this one's Moorish in the sense that this is really good. Yeah, I've got to go back to keep experiencing this. Like, I want to keep experiencing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm probably gonna settle on a teaspoon of water in this every time I try this. Yeah, I think that's a good good way to go about it. Just because it's given life to the vegetal notes. Mm. Like there were there was a lot of enjoyable things prior to the water, but they've all, as you said, come alive now. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, dreaming words. I mean, like, again, this is one of the ones where I've already said it going through, but I feel like this is me walking through a pine forest. So it's really tall pine trees. You've got the scent of pine needles in the air. It's freshly rained. So, like, the smell of the forest floor is coming up. And there's just a mist flowing through because you may be, like, early morning or probably even borderline dusk is where I'm sitting. Okay, all right. So for me, it's for me. I'd say this is me venturing through the Japanese Alps in the forest. Mm-hmm. Right, just at the base of the Alps through the forest. Got a samurai sword, and this is just a samurai sword across the tongue. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is just yeah, sharp, metallic. It's just oh man, it's just straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. All right, now should we get on to the ratings? Yeah, oh, man, we've got three dreams to rate. It's been a while since we've had to do that. <laughs> all right all right so ben nevis ben nevis what all do you right, have so i'm gonna give the ben nevis i'm ah oh, i mean this is a tricky one because i want to both contextualize it within like where we've rated our other drams um in my mind it sat pretty high yeah so i don't want to think like because i'm going to give it in the range of the sevens right but that right. is by no means a criticism or a bad score because I've placed some spectacular drams in the sevens like Bunahaban 12, Talisker Storm, um, Lagavul and eight. So I think this one for me sits at 7.7. Oh, okay. All right. So for me, the Ben Nevis 10 is a 7.5. Okay. Now, what about Whiskey from the Barrel? Mm. Can we go first? Yeah, I'll go first with that one. I would give you a 7.9 i'm gonna give this and i'm gonna place this one in the eights just right. because of how much i enjoyed it i'm gonna give it an 8.4 oh that's really good that's good right so hakushu distillers reserve all right i'll start with this one mm-hmm. um so for me this is a 8.2 okay a really really solid dram like it's it's better than solid Mm-hmm. And one that I would definitely back you going out and buying. Yeah. All right, what about I would you? agree with that one. Like I really did really enjoy that one. I, my main, my main like battle is whether this reaches the eights because this is no, sorry. This is, that's not correct. This isn't the only Hakushu I've tried. Cause we've both had their um, master select. That was a while ago. I can't explicitly remember because when we did try that, it was in a night full of some other drams. Yeah, that was like, what, the eighth or ninth dram of the night? So So I want to be almost hesitant placing this in the eights. So I think I'm going to give it a 7.9 subject to review once we try a few others from the distillery that maybe are of a little higher ABV. um, And then I'll like come back and see if this warrants being bumped up because it it is that borderline eight territory. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Because for me, I guess coming from, I guess, knowing what the Yamazaki 12 
offers. Mm-hmm. I'm safe giving this the 8.2 that I did. Okay, yeah. Because I know where the Yamazaki 12 sits already in my mind. Mm. Whereas you don't really have that. So it's, yeah. like, it's a little harder <laughs> for you to give it a more accurate rating for yourself anyway. I mean, like, I do find it interesting that you've rated it higher than the whiskey from the barrel. But at the same time, I get it, though. Like, being at a higher ABV, I feel like that offered quite a bit more. But at the same time, the kind of nose and taste of this one, I think yeah, it can warrant that as well. Because yeah. it, was, it was really enjoyable, but on a different level. Yeah, for me, I, th- I felt like the Distillers Reserve played more to our palates mm-hmm. as opposed to what the whiskey from the barrel did. Yeah. And I think whiskey from the barrel has a lot of appeal for people who, for example, love triple distillation because it was so smooth, but also it was very full and meaty. Like, like we found with the Mortlach. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I don't know for me, the whiskey from the barrel on another night could have been in the eights as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe if it wasn't paired straight after, like if the Hikushu didn't come straight after it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> possibly it might have been a bit higher, but yeah. I don't know. Give or take. Like at 7.9, it is that I gave it, right? I yeah, believe seven, so. Yeah, 7.9. Yeah, 7.9. So like, at 7.9, could easily have been an 8. Mm. You know what I mean? And what I've really found as well, like going back and looking at our ratings is, if you are ever a little unsure about where a dram sits, kind of just meet it in the middle of what we rated it. Yeah. <laughs> so if we've given it like 8.2 and 7.9, it probably better sits at like... Eight. Eight? Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, just kind of meet it in the middle and that mm-hmm. probably gives you a more accurate representation of what that, where that dram is. Yeah. Because those little points will kind of obviously differ between our personal preferences. In whiskey, mm-hmm. even though our palates are similar to an extent of what we really enjoy. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, before we keep on going and going about our palates, <laughs> right, I think that should probably be all we have time for. Yeah, so thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it would be a huge help if you could give us a rating on wherever you get your podcasts. Yep, preferably uh, five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Who said that? I didn't hear that. Did you hear that? <laughs> um, yeah, so it is a huge help to us. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can reach us at Dram Talk Podcast on Instagram or email us at dramtalk.au at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you've tried some Japanese whiskeys, maybe you have some recommendations for us to try. We are super keen to get into the Nikka coffee molten grains. So we might do a future episode on that. But yeah, yeah. Our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. And if they are, pour another dram!